0: We'll hear argument today in case 08205, Citizens United versus the
1: Federal Election Commission. Mr. Hey, everyone. This is Leon Nafok, co creator of the podcasts Fiasco and Slow Burn, bringing you this week's episode of 5 to 4. Today, Peter, Rhiannon, and Michael are talking about Citizens United v. FEC, a Supreme Court decision that allowed corporations to donate as much money as they want to the politicians of their choice. It has the potential to shake up the national political scene. Five to four vote rules that corporations can contribute anything in political
2: campaigns. This really takes us into uncharted territory.
1: Citizens United resulted in billions of dollars being pumped into politics, all in the name of protecting the free speech rights of corporations and the rich people who run them. It has dealt a critical blow to our American democracy. This is Five to Four, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court sucks.
2: Welcome to Episode 2 of 5 to 4, where we dissect and analyze the Supreme Court decisions that have made this country by a wide margin the worst in the world. I am Peter, a.k.a. The Law Boy. I'm here with Michael. Hey. And from Austin, Texas, Rhiannon. What up? And together, we are the only three lawyers... Without a diagnosed personality disorder, <laughs> right? Not even limited to <laughs> podcasts, right? Not limited to podcasts. That's all, <laughs> lawyers, all lawyers worldwide. <laughs> there have been some garbage fucking cases this uh, in this this past month or so. They right? they really the five
0: the five conservatives have outdone themselves.
2: They I have. Think. If you had asked me a couple years ago if you could just uh like no scope a teenager <laughs> across the Mexican border. <laughs> Uh, without any consequences at all. You're, I would have said probably not. No, that, does, that <laughs> doesn't does, sound right. doesn't seem
0: like a close
2: issue either. No, but I was wrong about that. Yeah. I was wrong yeah. about that. And that's, that's why I'm not up there with the big boys on the bench. <laughs> right. <laughs> Today, we are covering Citizens United v. FEC, maybe the most symbolically important case of the past decade, a case that has kind of come to represent the impact of income inequality on the political process and has become emblematic of the ideas that money is speech uh, and that corporations are people and all of these kind of big concepts that sound completely ridiculous and are completely ridiculous. (laughs) That's right.
0: And, you know, we, with this podcast, we're trying to show that the Supreme Court is not apolitical. The justices have agendas and they push those agendas. And I think this is a prime case for that. The whole process that gave us this decision was just blatantly political and hard to hide um, what was going on here. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I do want to point out, you know, I think we're likely to get some criticism here because this is about big money in uh, political advertising. And and this podcast also runs some ads. But we, our promise is that we will not be influenced by those companies. <laughs> Nor will we ever advertise. And this is this is a guarantee for a company that was instrumental in a genocide in the past 50 years. That's our that's our promise to all of you. And you might criticize that promise saying, oh, it's unclear what instrumental means or like 50 years. That's not
3: that's just a couple of genocides.
2: But first of all, there are a lot of genocides in there. Second of all, if you want to criticize us, that's fine. We're able to weather that criticism. Because we're built for it tough.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also beyond Citizens United, this is a, this is a nice time to talk about the First Amendment generally and the direction of the court, because we're also at um, just about 100 years even of First Amendment jurisprudence. Uh, the first Supreme Court First Amendment case was in 1919, and obviously 2019 just ended. If you look at the arc of, of the court's decisions, the early cases seem to be very concerned with, you know, this minorities, the disenfranchised, the, the powerless citizens. You have anti-fascist leagues uh, suing the government. Because they were put on some government watch list in the Supreme Court saying that they can challenge their inclusion on that in the 40s or, you know, the NAACP in the 50s using the First Amendment as a shield. And this is uh, maybe the case of all cases that sort of shows how the court's emphasis has shifted to protecting the wealthy and the powerful.
2: Yeah, so here in Citizens United, the court is asked whether McCain-Feingold, a 2002 law that bans outside political spending right before elections, violates the First Amendment by unconstitutionally restricting a corporation's political speech. And the court says that not only does this particular ban violate the First Amendment, but in fact any expenditure by a corporation at any time and for any amount is protected under a corporation's right to free speech. The idea that corporations have speech Something that sort of slowly built up momentum until it hit this crescendo and turned into something, I mean, that I think started off a little weird and is now just completely ridiculous. Right. Right. So in this case, the party asking for the Supreme Court to weigh in is Citizens United, uh, originally known as Americans for Bush. These guys are a political action committee founded in the late 80s to support George H.W. Bush in his campaign for president against Michael Dukakis. So, uh Ree, you wanna start walking us through the history? Like how does this get to the court?
3: Americans for Bush are the people who um produced the racist as fuck Willie Horton ad back in the late eighties. So it's about this uh furloughed Massachusetts prisoner who was accused of sexually assaulting a woman while he was out of prison. Bush accused Dukakis uh of not being tough on crime in that ad. Um it's racist, it shows the guy's mugshot. It's Disgusting. It's all, it um, calls
2: him Willie Horden, even though he didn't go by Willie. <laughs> it's like extremely <laughs> fucked up. Is that true? It's one hundred percent true. I, did, I didn't know that. Jesus yeah, Christ! Those
3: guys who made who made that ad um once Bush the First uh, was elected, Americans for Bush turned into Citizens United, and they hire this guy David Bossy. He is obviously obsessed with the Clintons in the nineties, running ads against Bill. Al Gore in 2000 and then Kerry, John Kerry, of course, in 2004. Um, this guy says that he's inspired by Michael Moore and particularly Michael Moore's film Fahrenheit 9-11. Um, and he's inspired to make political documentaries. <laughs> he starts with a rebuttal documentary that's called Celsius forty one eleven.
2: Whoa, punchy. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so creative.
3: Um, in an L.A. Times article <laughs> in 2004. Uh, Bossy says, "After seeing Moore's impact, I wanted to counterpunch. Documentaries have become a weapon of the
2: left. Still true, right? If yeah, you record totally right. stuff, uh, and then show people, <laughs> what what so, happens. So perfect. That's a that. weapon of the left. <laughs> Photographs too. I feel the same way about them." <laughs>
3: So, you know, this guy obviously sees himself as a propagandist, right? Right, absolutely.
2: Um, he's, a, he's a political operative.
3: Yeah. The problem with that, uh, is the FEC correctly identified that Citizens United was a political organization. It's not a bona fide movie studio commercial venture. Um, and so they continued to restrict Citizens United's ability to air their movies in advance of elections.
0: Right. Again, because uh, McCain-Feingold, the campaign finance law, uh, said at the time that corporations couldn't run ads for a federal candidate within a certain time period before an election. Right.
3: So David Bossie is like,
1: hmm.
0: He's got the fucking answer to that.
3: And he says, all right, well, what if I turn Citizens United into an actual movie studio then? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I bet they turned out some quality shit.
3: Yeah, you know, um, they, Citizens United has made over 20 movies now, including several that have been written and directed by uh, the garbage, smelly Steve Bannon, <laughs> such as Fire from the Heartland, The Awakening of the Conservative Woman.
2: Something tells me that's not a sexual awakening. <laughs>
3: Which features Michelle Bachman, Ann Coulter, Michelle Malkin, etc. Good stuff. One of the movies that um, that they made was Hillary, the movie.
0: Even punchier than Celsius for 41.11. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, and Citizens United wants to air this, uh, quote unquote, documentary in January 2008 to try to kneecap Hillary's primary run. They want to get it, to, obviously, to as many people as possible. And so they want to put it on demand, but free to watch.
0: Right. They have an issue here, which is that, you know, there's campaign finance laws that say, you know, there's no corporate or, or union spending 30 days in advance of primaries or 60 days in advance of elections uh, on electioneering communications. And, and so Citizens United, having been sort of burned on this law previously, sought a declaratory judgment in district court saying, look, we're good to go. We're a movie studio. This is just a documentary. And, and the court was like, no, you're not. And, and no, it isn't. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and said they couldn't do it and that was how we got to the supreme court with this case right and so this starts on a very narrow question of whether the law is unconstitutional as it's applied to this documentary and and citizens united is making a number of arguments that like look the law doesn't really cover us or to the extent it does cover us it's unconstitutional in those in those ways and there's oral argument on this point in March of 2009. But the justices, the the conservative justices, were not satisfied with that. And they pushed uh, Citizens United, during oral argument, on a much broader question of whether the campaign finance law and the restrictions on corporate spending were in their entirety unconstitutional. And this pisses off the liberals on the court. So David Souter, who's like a few weeks from retirement, writes a dissent that, according to some reporting, is just airing all the court's dirty laundry, accusing the conservatives of, you know, blatant political machinations. And so, somewhat shamed by this, actually, like, cowed by, you know, a retiring justice ready to just put them on fucking blast, they decide to to set this case for re-argument. And they're going to make the parties brief them on the broader question of whether or not, you know, these campaign finance restrictions are constitutional at all.
2: Right. Basically taking a very narrow question about some stupid movie and a very narrow law that is that applies to certain spending occurring within like a month of a primary and all of a sudden making it a case about corporate free speech. That would apply in like a huge array of contexts.
0: Right. The story, the the detailed story is that at at a conference like originally Roberts, Justice Chief Justice Roberts had written a majority opinion um, on the narrow question. And Justice Kennedy, who's very libertarian and which comes through in his writings, um, had wanted to write a concurrence on the broader constitutional question. But Roberts was persuaded by Kennedy and they decided to switch. And that was when suitors started to write a dissent, you know, calling them out for being a bunch of fucking hacks. And it's important to realize a few things, which is one, justices and judges in general, they they have certain intuitions about the law and maybe on non-core issues, they can be persuaded one way or another. Right. Some arcane workings of maybe like patent law or some shit, they might be persuadable. But but these guys have ideas about the way the First Amendment works, right? They they know what they think about things like campaign finance law, right? These are big issues that they've been thinking about for a long right. time.
2: They've been talking about it and uh, all their friends have been complaining about it at fucking cocktail parties that they're right. at right. for 10 years. That's right. Right, yeah. right.
0: <laughs> right. exactly. And uh, there are... Just a number of ways they could have avoided ruling on this, which is, generally speaking, what's required of the Supreme Court is to avoid big constitutional questions. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a doctrine called constitutional avoidance, which basically means if you don't have to answer to address a constitutional issue, you don't. Uh, And they flip that completely on its head. Uh, because they want to expand corporate speech rights uh, and take a narrow question and turn it into a constitutional question.
3: Right. You can't like overstate. How important it is that the petitioners themselves, Citizens United, as shitty an organization as it is, um, as awful a person David Bossy is and what they want the results of this case to be, um, that they didn't even ask for this result, right? This right. is the court really bending <laughs> right. over backwards to fashion a case and a legal question so that they can, they're, they're always planning backwards from the result that they want. And right. this is, I think, what makes justice john paul stevens in descent here um you know this this is kind of a famous descent of his it's known as like pretty intense it's 90 fucking pages long
0: right they, they wanted to avoid the shitty suitor descent and instead they got the shitty steven's descent yeah. and he's like a better writer than suitor is so
2: <laughs> although 90 pages <laughs> nobody's gonna read it believe i didn't read that shit <laughs>
3: <laughs> and but what is good about the dissent is like it does do that. I mean, there's a little peel back of the curtain, right? It's a little bit mask off where he's yes. calling out like what's going on. So he says, quote, it is only in the most exceptional cases that we will consider issues outside the questions presented. The appellate in this case did not so much as assert an exceptional circumstance. And one searches the majority opinion in vain for the mention of any. That's unsurprising, for none exists. Setting the case for reargument was a constructive step, but it did not cure this fundamental problem. Essentially, five justices were unhappy with the limited nature of the case before us, so they changed the case to give themselves an opportunity to change the law.
0: I, I, it's it's very upsetting, and my, my heart is, like, pounding right now. <laughs> I'm so worked <laughs> up. But But one thing I was thinking about is, like, one— I feel like you could go through law school very easily without ever reading this case. But two, even if you did, there's no way any of this shit is going to end up in your casebook, right? Right. You're going to read like a little introductory paragraph from the author of the casebook that basically tees up some of the bullshit issues. And then you'll read a few excerpted paragraphs from Kennedy's majority opinion about the First Amendment, and then maybe a few paragraphs from Stephen's dissent. And this context is very important for understanding what this case is and what the court is doing here.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's ideological warfare, right? And it's express. It's uh, as close as you can get to admitting that you just have this political goal you want to achieve, and you're going to go do it. But yeah, I mean, I did learn about this case in law school, and I didn't learn about the history of it, until I read about it myself.
3: Right. It's taken for granted that, like, this argument and the the holding of the case are legitimately gotten to. Like, the process was legitimate and...
0: Right. A- a, you know, and, and I think setting the case for reargument after you had already written your majority opinion, deciding the case one way along those questions is, like, such obvious bullshit, right? Like, there's no chance... Real weird. Right? There's There's no chance that they're actually... Going to change their mind at right. this point, right? This is about laundering it. It's about legitimizing what they're doing.
2: All right, let's let's talk about the opinion itself, Michael. You want to? You're the election guy, yeah, the election <laughs> yeah. law guy.
0: I was I was briefly an election <laughs> lawyer. I, I know a little bit about this stuff.
3: After this episode, Michael will have n- no more expertise. <laughs> <laughs> Michael peaks episode two. <laughs>
0: All right. So just quickly going through the decision. And, you know, I don't think this decision is worthy of extended discussion other than to, uh, you know, take a massive shit on it. So just describing its reasoning as briefly and succinctly as possible.
3: That sucks ass.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, when you're talking in abstract terms, the government banning speech sounds pretty bad. Censorship sounds bad. And in elections, of course, political speech is maybe the core of the First Amendment. That all sounds bad. Right. And so there are portions of this opinion that you can be fooled into thinking sound reasonable.
2: Right. There are definitely a couple of big misconceptions about Citizens United, things that it's sort of it's come to be associated with, although it's not really the case for those things. Right. Um, If you ever talk to like a conservative or see a conservative academic talk about it, they'll say, well, actually, you completely misunderstand the case because money as speech, that's a settled question. And uh, whether corporations are people, that's a settled question. But that's only really true in like a narrow, almost semantic sense. There is absolutely no coherent, comprehensive explanation under federal law for why and to what extent – corporations have constitutional rights at all despite the fact they're not actual people what there is is like a mishmash of different theories of rights with no real consistent framework and it's sort of unclear why these entities created by state law right would be subject to federal constitutional protection and you know some decisions have granted corporations due process and property protections and i guess you shouldn't the feds shouldn't be allowed to knock down a corporation's door and steal their stuff, I will begrudgingly accept that that, is, that sounds right. It depends on the corporation. <laughs> um, yeah. But they haven't been expressly granted speech rights, and it's not really clear if they even could be.
1: Right. right.
0: And, and so, when we're talking about bans on free speech, you got to think about what's required, right? You need a speaker, and in this case, that's a corporation. And, of course, corporate personhood makes sense, right? Like, corporations need to be able to sign contracts, and you need to be able to sue them, but whether or not that means, you know, corporations have feelings that they need to express, you know, that like General Motors is really <laughs> behind Mayor Pete, you know, in the right, 2020 right. Democratic <laughs> primary and it
2: feels it in its heart. Like, it's that's pretty ridiculous. And I, before we like really dive in, I think one question needs to be addressed, which is uh, what's a corporation like what uh what is a corporation? And yes. there are like all kinds of little uh, fancy academic theories about what a corporation is. But you know, it's a separate legal entity designed to allow people to more readily do business, right? You can right. hide all of your assets and liabilities in this entity and it's controlled by management. And it's owned by shareholders. And that's really the most you can say about it without getting into, like, frou-frou academic bullshit, I think. And the theory that they use and that courts have used for, like, 200 years to give them constitutional rights and speech rights is the idea that corporations are, quote, an association of citizens. (laughs) It's like kind of settled law that, you know, Then this makes sense. If you're a group of citizens, the fact that you're acting as a group— doesn't nullify your free speech rights, right? Right, Because you're an association of citizens. You're all acting together to speak and say something. So you get free speech rights. Makes sense, right? But the idea that a corporation is an association of citizens is, like, completely ridiculous. And it feels like it's based on, like, an extremely antiquated idea of what a shareholder is, right? right? Like, you know, some prospector rolls into town and goes to the local general store and goes in. And there's, like, six pelts on the wall and a bottle that just says elixir. And, and he's like, oh, well, I don't like the look of this store. I'll give you a buffalo nickel for uh, 25%. And then the guy's like, oh, my, a buffalo nickel. And and now now he's the guy's a shareholder. But, like, the modern system of shareholders is that, like, you give Vanguard or some other yeah. brokerage firm – Your money, and then they invest it for you in like a bunch of shares chosen based on some algorithm that tells them how to change their capital allocation for risk purposes or whatever. They buy and sell some stocks for you. Right. And you have no idea what you own. No idea. Right. Like, do you know what's in, like, any of your... <laughs> Exchange-traded
0: funds? Really? Yeah. Who, who
2: could possibly know? Like, yeah. I have, like, a 401k. I have absolutely no idea. Do I have what's... stocks? P- Peter, no, do I have stocks? No, no, you, I don't. Do no know. Right. you don't. No, you don't have stocks. Right. Okay. okay, I didn't no. think so. Thank you. Um. <laughs> So, like, most people have no idea what companies they have stock in, and that can't be an association of people. I can't be part of an association of people when I don't know what the association is. Right. Right. It's The modern shareholder as, like, an entity is barely sentient. The idea that they're an association of citizens such that they are, like, able to express themselves – and therefore, deserve speech protections is just beyond absurd.
0: Right. And the opinion tries to make itself seem like it's above basic sort of ideological concerns. And it mentions, well, like, look, the Sierra Club is an association of individuals and like, <laughs> it's got to be able to speak. Right? right. But like, the Sierra Club is an advocacy group about people That's with a, a shared interest right. in making political statements like that's the fucking point that's why you join if you buy five hundred dollars of stock in disney because you heard that they're going to buy like fox searchlight properties and you know you're going to see spider-man in the marvel universe that doesn't mean you have some fucking relationship with the other millions of people who hold stock in disney and that now you have some coherent group viewpoint that you need to express in the political sphere like the right. is absurd it,
2: it, and it creates like so you have this corporate entity and then you have this like inexplicably distinct association of citizens that also has legal protections and it's just allowing corporations to have their cake and eat it too right when they get sued All of a sudden, they're just the corporate entity, right? Right. And you can't sue the individuals who are part of it. And you have no remedy against any individual shareholder when they, uh, you know, blast some baby in the face with sulfuric acid or whatever uh, because it (laughs) it increases the bottom line. Right. when they want free speech, all of a sudden the shareholders have a, are part of it, and they are there. It's an association of citizens, right?
3: Right. The whole point of creating a corporation, right, is to is to limit individual people's liability and to create a legal entity that sort of takes the hit for legal problems in doing business. I don't fucking know. I didn't take corporations, <laughs> but but what's clear but you didn't is take corporations at all. <laughs> it was that required. No, of course I well, didn't it was take my corporations.
2: worst grade in law school, so I don't really have any. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> required, I I strolled me. right up to the law school. I said, "Teach me about business."
3: <laughs> yeah, you said, "Gimme dat corporate education." <laughs> right. So one one thing that's so. Just infuriating, it, it, to me, is in the last, like, substantive paragraph uh, of the opinion. This is Anthony Kennedy, and so, of course, he's really—he's pulling out all the stops in terms of, like, flowery, like, how much we care about rights, all of this stuff. He loves that shit. Right. But it's absolutely disgusting because— he, actually like motherfucker you're talking about corporations like actually (laughs) people. So he's saying like the First Amendment quote underwrites the freedom to experiment and to create in the realm of thought and speech. Citizens must be free to use new forms and new forums for the expression of ideas. The civic discourse (laughs) belongs to the people and the government may not prescribe the means used to conduct it. Fuck you. Please suck my ass.
2: In conclusion the United States is the greatest (laughs) country on, on Earth.
3: <laughs> Anthony Kennedy is still alive right because I just <laughs> not for
2: long I'm not going to kill him I'm not going to I just that's just a, sp- a statement about his age
1: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> Michael Michael, Michael like, is very... having like an actual <laughs> <laughs> like a minor <laughs> like, a, break like an anger attack yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's there's a point in this opinion when Kennedy says like look some people point out accurately that corporations could still do all this shit that we're saying they can't do. They just have to have a political action committee, what's called a separate segregated fund, which means rather than from their general treasury, they have a separate fund that only shareholders and executives and employees can uh, contribute to that will then engage in political advocacy. And he's like, well, first of all, that's a lot of regulations. (laughs) And that's really hard. (laughs) And they have to, like, they have to submit a lot of forms to the government. And, like, I don't think that's really fair that they should have to do that. (laughs) And in any event, if a corporation has a PAC, that doesn't allow them to speak. The PAC is a separate entity with... I guess, separate thoughts and feelings right. from the corporation that <laughs> right. that Once you give it.
2: one entity thoughts and feelings, <laughs> all of a sudden they all have them and it becomes this, like, incredibly right. convoluted mess of bullshit. Right.
0: The idea that a corporate-created political action committee is a separate and distinct speaker for the sake of the First Amendment, then the corporation itself that created it is fucking ridiculous. And And he says it, he writes it in a way that he's, like, offended by the idea yeah. that anybody would suggest. Yeah. All
2: right, so, the one of the big arguments brought up by the dissent, maybe the biggest argument, is the corruption argument. They're like, doesn't this allow for corruption? Right? If corporations can simply spend with the purpose of influencing elections, isn't that corruption? And right. Kennedy says, well, the only thing that really counts is quid pro quo corruption. Like, literally just here's your money. I would like this political objective in yeah. exchange.
0: Right. And so... Uh, Kennedy's argument is that since only direct quid pro quos count as corruption, any supposedly, uh, quote unquote, independent campaign spending, Mm -hmm. meaning spending that's not really directed uh, by the candidate or the candidate's campaign, that independent spending cannot actually be corruption for the purposes of the First Amendment. And that means you can't put any limits on it. Right. Whereas direct contributions could be part of a corrupt scheme. And so you could put limits on those. Right,
2: And this distinction is the heart of what makes this decision so ludicrous, right? So, like, according to the court, giving direct contributions to a campaign can be limited or in certain circumstances made illegal. But if you just run ads for the candidate on your own, that's independent and doesn't count, right? Right. This is how super PACs became so powerful, right? Their technical name... Is uh, independent expenditure committees. And the idea is you form an entity whose sole purpose is to help a candidate or a group of candidates in an election. And as long as you don't directly coordinate with the campaign, the Supreme Court says not only is that legal, but it cannot be limited due to the First Amendment. Right. And this is as easily gamed as it sounds. Right. Yeah. So it was reported by Esquire, I think. That in 2018, then Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, facilitated a meeting between a big donor and a super PAC, the congressional GOP super PAC. Uh, And because he was an elected official, he couldn't legally solicit a donation, right? So what does he do? He makes the pitch to the donor and then just leaves the room while the (laughs) donor and the PAC representatives talk money. That conversation ends with a $30 million donation to the PAC. And despite the fact that the distance between the politician and the PAC in this case is completely artificial and fraudulent... That's ostensibly legal under Citizens United, and certainly Paul Ryan is banking on it being legal. <laughs> right. no, no, no corruption there,
0: and yeah, and that's like you know that's happening behind closed doors. But you have right out in the open, you have fucking Michael Bloomberg pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into elections. Right. That's right for Democrats and Republicans alike. And then bragging about it on national TV in a, in a fucking Democratic primary <laughs> debate, saying that he bought 21 congressmen, which you know he's not a total idiot. He corrects himself and says he helped mm-hmm. them get elected. But you know that shit slips out because you know he thinks that you know he says that in private all the time. Right. He brags to his buddies at their little fucking cocktail parties, and and uh, the Supreme
2: Court thinks that's okay.
0: They say, look, that's not corruption. It's not even the appearance of corruption because <laughs> right. uh, he didn't directly coordinate with the campaign. Or if it's the
2: appearance of a corruption, it that, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. Okay. And, yeah, it's, it's very fitting that a decade after Citizens United, you have Bloomberg, officially the ninth richest person in the world, right. just openly and unapologetically trying to purchase the presidency right. of the United States yeah. with what I think – No matter what happens, it has to be described as some amount of success. And, you know, it's in large part because he's making huge donations to establishment democratic politicians to win their favor. And those donations are considered protected free speech under Citizens United, right? Right. And the Supreme Court has said, not only is this not corruption, but it is sacred and untouchable free speech, (laughs) right? And I think, you know, the bottom line with this stuff to me is that I don't think that conservative justices care whether this is corruption or not, right? Right. They know the Republican Party is fueled by big money and this is just how the wheels are greased, right? Right. And they're going to get behind it one way or another.
3: Right. It's clear from the opinion. They think that that's normal. They think that you should be able to do this. It goes back to like couching it in this really flowery language. In the second paragraph of this goddamn awful opinion, Kennedy is quoting the evil one himself, Scalia, saying, um, (laughs) oh, we should note that this case overturns the Austin decision. And in Austin, the Supreme Court held that speech could be banned based on a corporate speaker's identity. So there are some rules. There are some restrictions on corporate speech. But in this opinion, Justice Kennedy quotes Scalia, who um, said in another case, that Austin was a significant departure from ancient First Amendment principles. (laughs) Again, you have the mysticism around the law. Ancient. Dude, the First Amendment's like five minutes old. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's not ancient.
0: There was a longer gap between when the country was founded and the first time the Supreme Court handled a First Amendment case That's
3: a really good point
0: from then to now. Like this fucking (laughs) ancient case isn't even like half as old as the country. Like there are people alive today that are older than like the oldest Supreme Court first (laughs) amendment case. This is not ancient. This is literally (laughs) law that's been created in the lifetime of
2: living people. Yeah. But to be fair, it's like. Just a couple women in Japan.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like five people. But.
2: <laughs> so but. the the other thing that um, they basically do away with is the idea that the appearance of corruption matters. Right. right. And it was, this is a, a part of the law previously where um, the court had said, look, we want to not only do away with corruption, but also the imp- appearance of corruption um, so that people don't lose confidence in democracy. Which makes
0: sense. Like, if, yeah, if democracy is powered sure. by people, it sort of starts with their investment in the process. Right. right? And
2: um, and the majority basically says, well, look, the, the public's not going to lose confidence in the yeah. democracy. And
0: that's really it. That's like a direct quote.
2: It, it is. And it's, it's <laughs> I, I, I have. It. Yeah. Pull up the quote.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me <laughs> let me get it. Um, oh. The appearance of influence or access, furthermore, will not cause the electorate. To lose faith in our democracy. That's the fucking Supreme Court. That's reassuring, though. Holding force. Yes. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) On this shit. Thank you, Anthony Kennedy, for letting me know. I'm going
3: to sleep good tonight. I don't know about
2: you guys. (laughs) The Constitution Anyway, objectively false. Objectively (laughs) fucking (laughs) false. Right, right. um, Fucking wrong. One of the many times that this is like a classic thing that conservatives do where they just sort of like assert this thing. And you're like, isn't that an objectively measurable concept? Uh, And then they just move on. All right. the, the other, I think, big and kind of related thing is the idea of free speech in relation to the audience, right? Free speech isn't just about the freedom of the speaker. It's, a, it's about your freedom to hear what they got to say, right? Right. And so the majority is like, the public has a right to access all the information, and then they determine the reliability of that information after the fact. And I think it's like, important to note that like, here we are in an era of constant, often purposeful misinformation and extensive right. research showing yes. that some percentage of people will believe it uh, no matter what. And maybe we should be evaluating right. the rights of the listener to hear something with, like, a little more nuance given our understanding of that, right? Like, <laughs> we live in a world where, you know, 40 percent of the population believes Hillary Clinton is a murderous pedophile, right? Right. Which means that 60 percent of the population is wrong about that. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But hold on. There's also – Kennedy says this – this is a direct quote. There's no such thing as too much speech. (laughs) Eat shit. Obviously, there are (laughs) restrictions on the First Amendment. Right. There are all kinds of like, you know, classic fire in a crowded theater sort of thing. You, know, you can't make direct threats. There are tons of restrictions on the first amendment. So what, when you, when you are a Supreme court justice writing, there's no such thing as too much speech. How does that get by Like your clerks, like does it, right. none of your clerks, are like, uh, uh, this is obviously not true. But by the way, in 2007, there was a case where a guy held up a banner uh, near a school that said, bong hits for Jesus. And you were in like, and this and the Supreme court was like, well, Well, that was near a school. So you you can't say bong near a school.
0: (laughs) If you say bong near a school, that's something different. If you're annoying people, that's really – That's different. That's different.
3: I think a really important point to make, too, is that saying something as asinine as there can't be too much speech, like, you just have to call that out as being, like, so connected – To capitalism, right? That the idea of a free market being a good thing um, where there's just an excess of shit out there and everybody chooses for themselves what shit they engage with and buy. Um, A quote like that. There's no such thing as too much. Right. It's
2: just free speech in the form of like a Coca-Cola billboard outside your fucking apartment.
0: He he even mentions the marketplace of ideas, which like fucking drives me nuts because like. The marketplace of ideas is, is like, a great idea if we think, like, McDonald's makes the best fucking hamburgers that have ever existed, (laughs) right? Right,
3: Right. (laughs) Because
0: because (laughs) (laughs) pretty much everybody, if they've eaten a hamburger, they've eaten a fucking McDonald's bullshit hamburger. And, like, is that really – is that that what we're going for here? Like, is that the
2: idea? Right, Right. have the best hamburgers won? (laughs) Right. Well, that's (laughs) (laughs) – All right, hold on. Well, let's. I want to get into what I think is no joke. The majority's only like real, decent point, which is that there is a weird tension here. If you're restricting the ability of corporations to spend on political expression, then what do you do about media corporations? And the majority puts this forward as sort of just like, woo, like yeah. Are you are you saying that you can restrict you know MSNBC or something? Right. Um, now, Stevens, Justice Stevens, in his dissent. Is just like, well, that question isn't even before us. This isn't a media corporation, which is a good point. But also, let's be honest, a little bit of a dodge, right? Right. But I think perfect example of just like the conservative preference for rules, even if the rules are bad, rather than like actually engaging with nuance and context, they would much rather have a bad rule than give uh, like uncertain guidance to judges who might, in their mind, do the wrong thing with it.
0: Right. You know... It sounds scary, right? And, and like, it does sort of, like, raise this concern. And and if you're not really thinking too critically about it, you can be like, yeah, what if the government is like, no more CNN? Where will I get my pro-Clinton news? (laughs) (laughs) Or or whatever, right? I think the prototypical example of that would be, like, maybe a small independent filmmaker with a strong political point of view trying to, like... Make a a real sort of artistic statement about the state of our society, like perhaps Michael Moore with Fahrenheit 911, which, believe it or not, was able to be released within uh, thirty days of an election, over a complaint to the FEC because the FEC was able to very easily identify them as a, a, a his studio as a bona fide movie studio, and that this is a general political expression of the media and this wasn't an issue and what's amazing is that this was before the yeah, FEC. Hey, michael who who
3: who, who uh <laughs> who lodged that complaint citizens get that complaint from? united
0: <laughs> citizens united tried to get fahrenheit 911 pulled from the air the same fucking company that. that's out here saying like this shit is way too onerous was trying that's to unbelievable. get Media pulled like five years earlier. And that was it was their failed attempts. Right. To to get Michael Moore silenced that inspired this whole thing. Right. So
2: what the court is trying to say is like, look, it's hard to distinguish between types of speakers. Right. And so it's best to just let them all do the same thing. But. First of all, they don't actually do that, right? I just I referenced a right. case where th- there was a student on campus holding a uh, a sign that said, Bong hits for Jesus, and they said it's okay to ban that because it's a student in a school, right? You're, right. you're making these quantifiable judgments about um, the value or impact of speech based on the context. Are we really pretending that the guy on the street corner uh, with a sign – uh, saying the end is near, is doing the same thing as the corporation that's lobbying the government for fucking changes and regulations in their own industry. Right. <laughs> but that's right. what they're doing. That's what they're saying. Right. Um, it essentially means that the court sees no constitutional difference between a multi-million dollar expenditure by a corporation and a nominal expenditure by an individual. None. What they're saying is it's too hard to distinguish between those two things.
0: And, and you know, the conservatives love doing this. They they love talking about, like, how difficult rules can be to, to be applied in, in the real world. But, like, a common theme in the opinion is we're sitting here banging on them about big multi-million, you know, corporations that have tons of resources, and they're like, "Well, look, ninety-six percent of the Chamber of Commerce members have less than a hundred employees, and they're small businesses, and they can't handle this shit, and whatever." But like, the law easily distinguishes between those like there's right. a, there's a concept called a closely held corporation and there's different laws that surround closely held corporations if corporations are only have a few shareholders and they don't really respect the formalities of the corporate form and have right. shareholder meetings and all that shit right. they have duties to each other and the laws are very different for them than they are for you know what a uh, tesla stock owner owes which is nothing to another Tesla stock owner, right? Because that relationship is different. And judges and courts have no problem distinguishing between right. them. And if the court was concerned about those corporations and their speech, they would have no problem distinguishing between them. They didn't want to distinguish between them because what they want is to give fucking massively wealthy people and their corporate shells the ability to have a huge impact on elections. That's right. that's, that's the goal.
2: Uh, I want to get... Uh, one point in here before we talk about the impact of this decision, and that 's um, that there was a concern in here that this would open up uh, the possibility of foreign intervention in elections <laughs> yes.
1: and uh, so this mm-hmm. this decision
2: drops in uh, late January two thousand and ten a couple weeks later, State of the Union mm-hmm. Barack Obama is talking about this, and he says that with all due deference to separation of powers. last week, the Supreme Court reversed a century of law that I believe will open the floodgates.
1: Special interests, including foreign corporations, to spend without limit in our elections.
2: And Samuel Alito, the uh, conservative justice Bush Jr. appointee, <laughs> uh, famously mouths not true. Big scandal. <laughs> Not true. Big scandal because a Supreme Court just, justice uh, was talking. You're <laughs> so, uh, supposed to just sit there and sort of uh, look angry, I think. Uh, <laughs> instead, he like mouthed his opinion. you supposed to sit
3: there in your robe looking important.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very sort of at the time, it was just like, oh, he's talking back at Obama, very sassy Supreme Court justice. And now it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you sure about that, Sammy? Yeah. You really want to be the guy who
0: like went down his history as telling Obama right. he's,
2: that he was. He's the guy who was like foreign intervention and in elections in 2010. Absolutely not, Barack. No, no. way. You're an idiot, Barack. No you don't understand way. this stuff at all. And just there's no there's no question that Citizens United. uh it creates a pathway through which foreign uh, money can run into our elections there's absolutely no way to avoid that fact, as will be made clear by some of the numbers we 're about to tell you <laughs> right. The impact of this decision on spending spending that can come from any corporation uh, is considerable
0: right and and so the thing about the corporate forum is that it is a uh, a great vehicle for for pretty much anyone to to get there you know, fingers into the electoral process now. And I don't think it's maybe worth our time to get into detail about all the various different ways individuals, you know, foreign or domestic um, can do that. But the main thing is that by opening up this avenue, you just invited Basically, everybody who who wanted to do this to just, you know, form a little fucking LLC or whatever. And, yeah. <laughs>
2: right. You, you right. Just, the, the definition of of corruption in this context is so narrow that anyone who is not a complete and total incompetent can now uh, funnel huge amounts of money into elections. Right.
3: Yeah. Right. And I think the reason why I want to do this podcast is not just to show that the Supreme Court justices are political and, and actually not objective, but also that they're dumb as shit, right? Yeah, right. Everybody <laughs> at the, the time...
0: Everybody at shit. the time was
3: saying, the these would be the consequences. Corruption is a risk yep. here. Foreign yep. intervention is a risk here. This is what... And they were all like, no, no way, dog. Like, right. that's not gonna happen.
2: Like, if you read the Stevens' Descent now, you could look at it and be like, oh, he's fucking Nostradamus. Like, this stuff <laughs> right. all came true. Right. Yeah. Or you could realize yeah. any moron looking right. at this decision and and understanding right. the basic framework of uh, of spending in elections could have predicted this stuff.
0: <laughs> fucking in 2018, <laughs> Sheldon Adelson alone gave $122 Casino million. Casino
2: magnet and one of the most disgusting people you will ever lay your eyes on. Just one of the most fucking aesthetically the disturbing <laughs> people you will ever see in your fucking life. If you don't know what Sh- Sheldon Adelson looks like, just <laughs> Google him right now. A-D-E-L-S-O-N. He looks... Insane. Just un- like an unbelievable human being. It's barely human. He, I don't even think he deserves free speech rights. I don't think he qualifies as a person. It, he looks... No. Like a nine foot person was melted down into a normal person size. Sorry for that tangent.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) Michael said in 2018, Sheldon Adelson alone gives $122 million. And then just to compare that back in 2010, the year this decision comes out, the largest reported individual contributions totaled seven and a half million. So it's just Mm. ratcheted up. A little bigger. Another big impact in terms of like campaign spending being up is outside spending, which is referring to PACs, political action committees operating independently of campaigns. Um, so for example, in 2008, that outside spending totaled, um, little over $330 million. Fast forward to 2016, we're talking in the billions now, $1.4 billion. And in 2018, the first midterm, uh, with over $1 billion in spending.
2: Yeah. I So an, uh, one way to contextualize this is, um, has anyone listening to this podcast ever tried to max out their donation to a candidate? <laughs> because the maximum that you're allowed to donate is $2,800 per candidate per cycle.
3: If you've done right? that, call me, because that means you have like 3000
2: bucks. That also know. means you're rich. <laughs> yeah, that right? is a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so the, the end result of this – and by the way, those restrictions have been found constitutional. All of this, like, highfalutin language about how the importance of speech and shit uh, has not prevented the Supreme Court from saying, well, yeah, you can cap individual contributions. Right. And the result is that while you can only donate 2800 if you and uh, some of your richer friends decide to uh, form a company – pull together your millions, right? All and, of a sudden you can right. spend the whole
0: fucking thing. Right. And you want to run an entire shadow campaign like right. in parallel with the the candidate of your choice. Yeah, you can do you and your friends can do that too.
2: Just like a billionaire, you and your friends are allowed to run ads <laughs> right. uh, against or for the candidates of your choosing. So don't tell me that this country's any unequal.
0: Right. The easiest way for a normal citizen to actively engage in the political process in a meaningful way beyond just like talking to your neighbors is very restrained mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. people with means can fucking go hog wild
2: <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah. oh my god i love it <laughs> michael is just just i'm just sorry ready <laughs> yeah ready to punch someone i, I mean <laughs> well after this we'll go punching people <laughs> Next episode uh, is Fisher v. Texas, which is, um, I think the best way to put it is the story about the dumbest white girl you ever heard. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, yes. It's going to be good. It's an affirmative action case at a, a great exploration of one of the more mediocre women <laughs> you'll ever hear about in your whole life.
0: 5-4 is presented by Westwood One and Prologue Projects. This episode was produced by Katja Kunkova, with editorial oversight by Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, and our theme song is by Spatial Relations.
1: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.